Good evening and welcome to the Widdershins Yarn. My name is Stevie. And I'm Lilith. And we'll be your guides as we wander off the beaten track and into the queer, crooked corners of the mind. This podcast is an exploration into the folklore, aesthetics and social psychological impact of the horror genre. And tonight, something wicked this way comes, because we're talking about witches. Intro music, intro music, intro music, (laughs) intro music. (laughs) They're coming to get you, Barbara. Um, How are you doing tonight, Lilius? I, I am good. I'm a bit giggly, but... <laughs> so I guess, yeah, just before we started this, we went on a massive, <laughs> massive conversation about spiders and our fear of spiders and... Ah! But, um, <laughs> no, I, yeah. It's, it, at least it's given us a lot of, uh, uh, of food for thought for future episodes on phobias. <laughs> um, but tonight's episode is super special because it's the first episode of The Grimoire Club. Yeah. I feel like we should have our own little personal sound bite that goes there. We do, yes. Yeah, we should. Oh my god. Oh, we'll need to be like, somebody. I'll have a look. Okay, good, good. <laughs> I'm like, please, you're like my tech person, my editor, everything in one. <laughs> um, so basically what I mean by the Grimoire Club is that the episode of every, at the end of every month, uh, will be dedicated to a different horror novel. So the theme of that episode will be kind of dictated or reflect uh, the novel's content, essentially. And uh, this episode, the very first episode, is going to be dedicated to Tony Sosa's Summerland, the Gospel of Noah. Um, Summerland, the Gospel of Noah is the story of a young man called Noah, funnily enough, who who discovers that he is a witch and is thrown into a turbulent occult world of magic, mystery, and a little bit of murder. Well, a lot of murder, actually. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I've just hit the murder part in that book. There's a, there's there's a lot of murder. Of murder. <laughs> um, but honestly, the book is truly excellent. It's the first book that has gripped me in like a really long time. Um, it really is the definition of a page turner. So kind of tonight, in honour of the Gospel of Noah, we're going to be talking about witches. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I guess, what does that mean? Um how are witches considered historically and in fiction? Um, what does it mean to be a witch for actual witchcraft practitioners today? And uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about the Gospel of Noah itself. Um, Tony has very kindly recorded um, some answers to a couple of questions that I've sent him. So we're going to play that and we're going to talk about the book and um, yeah, just have a a witchy old time. Um, what's actually quite good as well is that Tony is himself a practicing witch, so I think his perspective on witchcraft is going to be quite interesting mm-hmm. to hear. Um, but yeah, Lilius, out of curiosity, do you have any history or interest in witchcraft, the occult? Give me all the I like tea. how you say out of curiosity, knowing fine well because you met me during my heavy, heavy wicker phase. <laughs> I feel like that deserves a fan thwarp. <laughs> oh, I don't have my fan with me. Oh no. Oh, oh I'm fanless. Oh. <laughs> um, I'm your fan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When I was a teenager, so probably about fourteen, I think I kind of discovered Wicca. I think there was kind of a big upsurgence in 
mm-hmm. the Wicca community at that time, and I kind of fell into that, and did uh, really enjoyed doing lots of research. I did some ritual work stuff. Um, I was very into herbalism at the time, tarot, um, crystals. Kind of, I was your your token token teenage Wiccan. <laughs> I was I was a big nerd, and I was really into it. Um, and then, kind of as time went on, I just sort of lost that mm-hmm. a little bit. I think I um, <laughs> it's not a phase, mom, but I very much grew out of it. <laughs> Um, yeah i had parties to go to and i had people to see and friends um (laughs) (laughs) just a disclaimer if you're a practicing wiccan you can also have friends you can also have friends i just no i did but like uh yeah i just i had more stuff to do that was social and Mm -hmm. i kind of and at the same time i also that's when i totally lost reading um when I was a kid, I devoured books and I read nonstop. Mm-hmm. I would read novels in just a couple of days or just overnight because I'd stay up reading them, and like I couldn't get enough books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, around my mid-teens, I kind of, well, later teens, probably sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, I kind of just stopped completely reading. I just had no interest in it anymore, and now i find it really hard to concentrate on reading a book that isn't factual and summerland it's summerland that's summerland 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 is the uh the first novel in absolutely ages that i have been able to read that i haven't um like a lot of times I've sat down to read novels and I read like one line and then my attention's gone and I'm lost <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I've left the room. Um, but Summerland has been absolutely gripping and it's been the first one. I'm about, I'm just over a third of the way through, I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I can't, there's days I like, I can't wait to go and read it, which is really cool. And it's funny that it's re, like this has come back up at the same time that I've been going back into, mm-hmm. um, my witchy stuff. I kind of steer away from Wiccan stuff now uh, because questionable. Um, <laughs> some parts, anyway. Uh, so I, and I'm also, uh, when I was a teenager, I was very much more god and goddessy mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Whereas now I kind of see myself more as like an atheist witch in that. Mm-hmm. There's aspects of it I still just, like deity things and stuff, I still just can't can't yeah yeah it's just, it's just, just not, not for, for you yeah. <laughs> yeah no that's totally fine i think i think that's totally fine like i think i know i know a lot of people who fall much more on that kind of i guess atheistic kind of witchcraft spectrum i mean i'm a little bit different in my practice in the sense of i feel like i kind of i can hear i can hear the cat wailing <laughs> She's like, you're talking about witches, but I'm a familiar. <laughs> she, uh, she really wants to be let out, so we'll pause for two seconds. Yeah, pause. Yeah, so very, very, very into it as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of re-exploring it a wee bit and trying to re-explore it through my now adult eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stuff as well. Definitely. And you, because I know you're a little witchy thing. <laughs> I, 
Um, very. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, so, I guess in terms of me, um, I would say that I kind of follow what I would consider to be almost like a dual faith perspective in the sense of I am both recent, well, recently um, I have started practicing Buddhist Tantra, uh, which has been very interesting and I love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, but I'm also very, very witchy as well, and I feel like my witchcraft and my spirituality in general is very much influenced by the kind of the dual aspects of my heritage and upbringing. So um, on the South Asian side, um, through like my ancestors, that's where I feel like, you know, the Buddhism kind of fits. Whereas the witchy stuff, very much influenced by my love of folklore, particularly British folklore, um, spiritualism, I spent a lot of time in spiritualist churches as a child and as a teenager. Um, paganism to an extent, there's definitely a pagan flavour, but it's not, it's not massively pagan if that makes sense. Um, it's also quite largely influenced by what I would guess is folk Catholicism, because my family, my mum's side of the family is Catholic, and even though I wasn't baptised Catholic, I was brought up with a lot of Catholic elements, and so I think a lot of my practice falls into that kind of folk catholic kind of line because i mean let's be honest i mean catholicism can claim it's christian all at once but there's a huge amount of like of hidden paganism <laughs> going on there excuse me i'm just gonna just gonna talk to this dead person and ask for stuff i'm that... gonna go drink some blood eat some body yeah you know nom, nom, nom. <laughs> so yeah so that's that's kind of me um in my kind of research for this episode i, des I decided to have a look at what the definition of a witch is for chits and giggles. <laughs> and um, according to the Cambridge Dictionary, and this is actually hilarious, I do love this, uh, a witch, and it just states this plainly, is a woman, not person, a witch is a woman who is believed to have magical powers and who uses them to harm or help other people. I thought the, uh, the, ver the gendered emphasis on there was very interesting. Um, if you're a lady... I you're a witch. It's also interesting how it's uh, only affects others. Do you know what I mean? You either harm or help other people, it's nothing to do with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Completely. Completely. I know, because, you know... Taking that power away, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, sorry. Somewhere somewhere a seagull died. I'm so sorry. I love your cackle. It's awful, honestly. I do apologise to anyone that's actually having to listen to me right now. Um... <laughs> Interestingly enough as well, the anthropologist Evans Pritchard, um, he did a lot of research on witchcraft, particularly amongst the, uh, the Azande tribe in Africa, I do believe. And um, he defined witchcraft as the innate or inherited ability to cause misfortune or death. Um, and he very much defined witches as separate from, well, witchcraft as separate from sorcery in the sense that witchcraft is essentially um, an innate power that involves the unconscious willing of psychic energy and sorcery being ritual uh, uttering of spells, all that kind of stuff. So witchcraft for him is something that is very much innate and almost unconscious, which I mm. thought was a bit weird. But again, it's, it's all to do with the fact that witches are born and they are born to harm which i thought was really interesting mm. and a bit like oh 
okay. <laughs> and, well, I mean, to be fair, I mean, it's the standard guise for witches in a lot of history and literature and this idea of workers of malefic magic or maleficium, which is, is obviously this intent to cause harm and, like, breaking the social code of society, mm. which... That's the bit I find interesting. Me too. Mm. Fuck the patriarchy. <laughs> That's what I think. Well, very that. <laughs> Definitely, very that. Um, I think witchcraft is empowering, and I think witchcraft is about um, very much empowering the other, you know, or that sense of otherness. My my drawback to that recently has one hundred percent been more about. Um, it has been a lot more about trying to reclaim mm -hmm. something that I think we've both lost as a society mm. and that I feel I've lost connection to in my adulthood. And what do you, what do you feel that is? Um, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question, but there's definitely... So I've been doing a lot more things now of uh, almost kind of meditative stuff and like mm -hmm. taking time like candles and all of this kind of stuff and like kind of setting intention kind of things um and <laughs> this is where it gets a bit weird but it weirdly feels a bit like bullet journaling but a little bit more intense <laughs> bullet journaling is a gateway drug to witchcraft okay <laughs> But it, it, like... All the conservative Christians listening to this podcast are like, finally, we found a way to get them. <laughs> but yeah, it, um, it very much feels like tapping into a bit of yourself that you, you leave behind when you're younger. Um, oh, right. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't... No, I get, I totally get what you mean. No, I do. No, I do. I mean, it might be because I was that weird kid who like, you know, <laughs> Same, so. who, you know, used to do things to make it rain so I wouldn't have to do sports day. And like, <laughs> um, I was awful as a kid though. Like I remember, like, I think there's a, there's a thing when you're a kid where you have wonder at everything. Yeah. Um, and I think that one of the great things about witchcraft is that it, really tries to train that back into you in a way mm. that you you're showing respect for things constantly and it's about mm. wondering um in that awe kind of way mm -hmm. um and i feel like there is a lot to be said psychologically for like the power of prayer and all of this kind of stuff and um like i love i'm not uh, I'm not a churchgoer and I'm not Christian or religious, but I absolutely love it when you're in a church, like a huge big church, and mm. everyone's singing, and the like, the the air around you vibrates with like the sound and the the bouncing back noise and all this kind of stuff. And I can 100% see why Christian people see that as almost a religious experience and stuff. And it, it because it feels so intense that way. Yeah, totally. And I feel like it's, um. As somebody who's kind of approaching witchcraft from a, like an atheistic point of view, mm -hmm. that's the stuff that I like to tap in on, and I think that those experiences, those kind of religious experiences, because there's no other word for them, mm. um, can be important for your your mental health and your your well being. And mm -hmm. 
your person. <laughs> so it's it's almost like it's it's a meeting with, as you say, this idea of awe, potentially meeting with the sense of the numinous as well, which kind of ties into what um, contemporary witchcraft practitioner Gemma Gary says. Um, she's an amazing practitioner, actually. Um, her book on Cornish witchcraft has kind of gone, has, you know, gone crazy in the in the traditional witchcraft circles. Everyone's like, <laughs> woo, Gemma Gary! But, um, she, she talks about witchcraft as being this meeting of self with something outside of the self. Um she talks about it historically or within kind of folkloric accounts of this idea of a meeting with supernatural beings, often the devil, but sometimes uh, the fae in British tradition or ghosts or the spirit in guise of, in the guise of an animal, um, making an appearance to an individual who is impoverished or distressed and essentially making them witches and imparting knowledge in order for them to be able to improve their lot in life. Now, some people in historical narratives, again, see that through the lens of Maleficia, which is this idea of, it's almost like you you steal the fertility of the land from somebody else so that you can then gain, you can prosper in their stead. Um, but like, I just, I think um, this idea of this kind of purely malefic element to witchcraft, I think is very much a Christian lens. Um, mm. I don't it like sounds it. like it's a, a leftover from witch trials of mm -hmm. we must hunt them, they, they be bad, and not necessarily actually even be witches in any way, shape, or form. But we don't <laughs> like that this woman has a business. Quick, kill her. <laughs> it yes, it reminds me of that, that meme that was going around Instagram where it was like, a woman has a thought, burn her! <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Historically speaking, I know it's like yeah. you know a woman shows independent thought. Oh, she must be a witch, right? Then let's yeah. deal with that. Yeah, well, I I think I've brought this up to you before and stuff like. Or if you've chatted about this before, of how I have this strong belief. Um, I can't remember if it's backed up by fact or not. So we'll just go with it. <laughs> Take my intellectualism with a pinch of salt, because it might just be me rambling. But that there's um. A strong tie between the rich witch trials and the end of feudalism going into capitalism mm -hmm. um, so that you no longer had like your your serfs your your peasants working the land for a, a gentry mm -hmm. kind of thing you were going into having business owners who were making money off of workers that kind of changeover mm -hmm. was happening whilst the witch trials were going on um, and women traditionally had control over a lot of industries like brewing, weaving, yes. medicine, all of that kind of stuff, textiles in general. Childbirth. Um, I, traditionally, it is our job. <laughs> well. <laughs> well. I mean, I'm not... Well, well, that's arguable, actually, yeah, I guess. Um, True. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, when you get when you get down to it, actually, it's just people with wounds. Um, that, yeah, it's, uh, so it's, it's, it's moving from that transition. Hand, hand gesture. No, I'm trying to help you. <laughs> I'm doing it too. <laughs> the words without the hand gestures, I need that. But yeah, it's moving through that transition and a way for, uh, men in power to get more power and to get more money 
was to take over these industries yeah. and to make them into jobs and workers and it forced women into becoming the subservient housewife before that time like patriarchy existed i'm not saying it didn't mm-hmm. <laughs> women had a bit of a shit time of it i'm not saying they didn't but um they had a lot more control in a sense than afterwards they could speak up and they could you know not as much as they should be able to but <laughs> you know um yeah. and they had jobs and all of this kind of stuff and a life outside of the home and the witch trials really instilled in women that you must be at home you must be subservient to men you must be quiet you must be the good housewife you can't have opinions you can't have a job you need to have children raise children sit down and shut up Mm -hmm. kind of thing and it took all of that power away and i think part of the massive resurgence in witchcraft that we're seeing over the past like five ten years um is because of women and people trying to take their power back yes definitely be like yeah you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna call myself a fucking witch <laughs> like damn right like if you if you want me to sit down and shut up no i'm gonna stand here and i'm gonna be loud I think so, definitely. You know, I think it's this, It's back to this idea of reclaiming a sense of personal sovereignty, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that... Is, oh, sorry, yeah, go why ahead. I find it so, no, it's just why I find it so interesting that that dictionary definition was like, uh, it's all about other people, it's about doing harm or good to other people and nothing to do with yourself. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like a lot of the recent witchcraft movement has been about reclaiming power to yourself. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, it's, it is. It's the sense of, it's, it's resistance. It's, it is, it's, it's reclaiming the sense of personal sovereignty. Um, Ilona, who I'm actually going to read one of her personal accounts in a minute, um, I consider her to be um, a great teacher of mine, and she is a contemporary practitioner of witchcraft, and she's always talked about how witchcraft for her is about claiming this sense of sovereignty back. You know, um, and it's interesting because what you what you say, I feel kind of quite nicely segues into um, what Lee Morgan says, who he himself is a contemporary witchcraft practitioner, a queer witchcraft practitioner. Um, but he's also a scholar and he defines a witch as a person that hears the call and is marked as other by the other world. And their power manifests in both positive and negative ways, and that there are many kinds of witches, as there are witchcrafts. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's it's all about this kind of, this different shades of grey, basically. Um, but I do think personal sovereignty and reclaiming a sense of power is key within witchcraft as a whole, I would say. Um, so what I thought is, speaking, <laughs> speaking about Alona, um, I put a call out on social media asking um, contemporary witchcraft practitioners just to send me in something talking about their own practice. And um, I have one from Ilona and I have one from um, a lovely woman who I've worked with many times called Rebecca, uh, Rebecca Sharp, who is a writer as well as a witch. And she blends writing and witchcraft into like a practice. So I'm going to read you what they... That's so cool. I know, I'm so happy they sent me stuff. <laughs> So I'm going to read you, uh, read you their narrative. So this is Alona's first, and I think this is beautiful. I really enjoy this. <clears throat> so when I was young, I thought my strangeness was due to being a foreigner in another land. In telling my friends about my adventures with things they could not see, they pronounced my strangeness madness. 
I learned as I grew to keep up, to keep my madness to myself and curb my strangeness into a semblance of what passed for normal among my peers. At least I tried to. School encouraged reading, but the books were dry recitals of what already went on in the everyday world around me. I preferred the books with dragons and fairies and elves and witches. But fairy tales, the adults said, were not real, merely dreams, and I dreamed often. Rich dreams that were alive in a way my daily life was not, and some dreams were dreamt over and over again. I was 13 when my dad took me to the West Coast for a holiday. We stopped at a cafe, which was also a bookshop, and my dad said I could choose one if I wanted. There on the shelves was a little orange-covered book with a broomstick and staff crossed on the front cover. The Little Book of Magic Spells. I devoured that book and managed to keep it for myself for a whole four, four months before my mum found it and threw it out. For a short time as I had that book, I never forgot it. It had been written as if magic and witches were real. I was 15 when I first met a large land spirit. That meeting both shaped and shook me for, what, for it was a moment that I had seen in a series of recurring dreams. In my dreams, however, I had woken in the moment before he revealed himself. I have since seen him a number of times, not always in his entire form, as in my first encounter, but I have felt his breath, smelt his fur, and seen a glint of tooth and eye. From that time forward, I began to explore the worlds of the paranormal, of otherness to the prescribed human world. I understood without having the language to describe what I was feeling, and experiencing that there was something else beyond my own existence. This time of exploration was a very solitary endeavour as my father was a very practical-minded businessman and my mother was a born-again Christian, so there was no support for my interests. In many respects, the other world and its inhabitants became my true home and though alone, I was never lonely because of that. In adulthood, I have been fortunate enough to meet many weird and wonderful people who have felt this connection to the otherness of the world. I have also met my share of mad, bad and dangerous people, but those tales are for another day. When, I did, when did I first call myself a witch? It wasn't when I met my first high priestess at 17. It wasn't later at 21 when I met my first druid or when I danced and sang with a group of Celtic crafters. I was not a witch when I sat among the, sat among the stones in Saddle or walked on Macri Moor. Nor was I a witch when I saw death in the cards or scried possibility in ink and water. The word witch was still an impossible, not real thing, suspended in the mind between the grim hags of folk tales and the coloured cartoons of Disney. What could this flesh and bone woman have in common with a witch? I have met many witches along the way, witches with traditions and rituals, witches with altars and wands, sigils and symbols, cards and covens. All had something to impart, something I could understand and learn from. But those traditions were not mine those rituals, foreign words in my strange mouth, my altar a soft patch in the waste ground and my wand a stalk of herb I had sung to. I have, like the ancient bards, called myself by many names, pagan, animist, crafter and heathen among them. I have worn these like silk scars for effect and to match my mood and interests. I have collected them like stones and leaves and placed them carefully in my baggage. Somehow all these different things, these experiences and teachings, have only in recent years merged and become part of a cohesive wholeness within me. This wholeness suits me, woven together as it is by all the things this flesh and bone woman has seen and done. I am both in this world and in the other, one foot on my beloved land, 
the other outside of that, on the edge of things. So when did I first call myself a witch? When did the penny drop? Not with a spell, nor a declaration one day, but slowly as, as a self-awareness grew and new understandings took root. The folktale witch was less scary and more necessary, the cartoon witch less airbrushed and more wild. When what I thought I knew was peeled back to reveal the realness of things, then I knew I was a witch. This old flesh-and-bone woman at last discovered what the flesh-and-bone child had known. Who and what she is. A witch. That's so lovely. I really like that. Mm-hmm. <coughs> it is. It's beautiful. Um, it's really... It's interesting as well that she, she also did the, the thing of... It's like tapping into something from childhood. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Completely. It is. It is. It's, it's taking that sense, that wonder which you have... And then, I guess, cultivating it again. Yeah, I don't have very good words for it, but it, yeah, there's something that's definitely about hitting something of who you were before everybody told you who you were meant to be. Mm-hmm. That kind of makes me um. want to cry, actually. <laughs> oh, no! I'm not going to cry. I'm slightly similar. I'm, I'm a little bit emotional now, so let's very quickly change the subject. Okay, <laughs> so I'll read now what Rebecca said. Um, Rebecca Sharp is a poet and a playwright. Um, for both Alona and um, Rebecca, I will obviously... Um, I will leave links to stuff um, on this video. As a professional writer, I mostly write poetry and plays. I also make work for other styles of performance and regularly collaborate with other artists. So my work is very often interdisciplinary. Within any project, sure, I'll be writing the text, but I'll also be thinking about the work as a whole, how it is presented and experienced, how all the parts work together. For me, this functions in many of the same ways as magical practice. In both cases, I might be thinking about ways of combining words, actions, sounds, objects with a specific intention in mind. Privately, as in separate to my professional life as a writer, I practice witchcraft. For me, this takes the form of spellcasting through ritual action or constructing ritual objects such as spell pouches or talismans. I read tarot for myself and others. I design tarot spreads and rituals involving the tarot. I create and use sigils. I make oils and sprays with essential oils and work with crystals, the elements, lunar cycles and seasons. I meditate and scry using an obsidian mirror, candle gazing and smoke. Witchcraft for me is an overarching way of seeing how things are connected as well as a way of doing a way to have agency within processes by not seeing ourselves as separate to them. That certainly has parallels to how I approach my work as a writer. And she goes on to talk about a couple of specific projects that she's done which kind of combine the sense of magic and practice, but I'll read a couple um, and then I'll link to some of the others as well so everyone's kind of, can everyone can, you know, catch up on those. Um, I've made specific projects in my professional life where, I, where I've overtly employed some of these methods. For example, uh, my book Peripheral Visions was commissioned by Edge Hill University and brings together three works I made through site-specific writing and divinatory practice. In each case, I would choose a place of particular interest, go there, spend some time exploring, researching and tuning in, then I would construct an oracular device that, that a person might use at that place to better navigate or understand it. 
One site produced some tarot images that I made into cards, another produced a couple of casting stones, and another produced a mapped walking route corresponding to the major arcana. I've been commissioned to devise one next for Stornoway, which I'm hoping I'll be able to do next year. The work connects with the idea of the genius loci, the spirit of place, connecting internal and external landscapes across points, different points across time in the history of a place, seeing human experience as part of a continuum that we can tap into while turning all of this into an oracular system that someone can use if they have something they'd like to ask about. So as well as what happened during the process of making the beginners, I generally approach my writing as a process of tuning in. There's a lot of intuition involved, to sense when I feel drawn to a particular subject, when I feel I'm on the right track with something I'm working on, and when I feel something is truly finished. I think poetry especially functions very closely to the way a spell does. Both are written or spoken, and there's power in those processes. In particular, choice and arrangement of words, the manipulation of imagery, rhythm, structure, patterns, poetry and spell writing both have the power to evoke or invoke, to point to something beyond the words, to conjure a feeling, a mood, a response of some kind, a shift of energy or an act of transformation. In recent years, I felt less and less need to keep my various interests and practices separate. And why should they be separate? Clearly, they're coming from similar places. The Beginners is the first time I directly channeled a voice that wasn't mine, and in the text I mark that short section by writing a voice. Does that mean the rest of the time the voice is mine? Many believe that the muse or spirit or whatever you call it is all around us all the time. We just tap into it every now and then if we're lucky. And with techniques like meditation or scrying, or whatever you choose to call it, we just get better at tuning in. Like writing over time, I've gotten better at getting to the point quicker, tuning into the heart of a piece more strongly its needs to exist, even if that might turn out to be something quite abstract and undefined. I'm coming to this sense more and more of tuning in and it's actually liberating. To let go of the ego like that, to get out of my own way. On top of that, sure, there's focus, intention, skill and discipline and technique as there is with anything and all that can be learned and practiced, but I find it even more empowering to remember that it's all just energy ready to tap into and manifest. We just catch it as it flies. Yeah, so again, really interesting. What do you think? I really like that. It's really interesting to hear somebody who's worked that side of their life into their professional life as well. Mm -hmm. Definitely. In, yeah, in what seems like a really intuitive way. Mm -hmm. I guess it's the both, but I think both of those accounts are highlighting this idea that witchcraft is almost a connection point between self and other in some way. And almost yeah. it's like a letting go of this kind of sense of ego and, yeah. you know, being one with things outside of yourself, be it in your perception, spirits, the land, or, you know, your creative process. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Ah, I love it. Fucking love it. <laughs> um, so to kind of, just to carry on anyway, with kind of, where this train of thought is going because I don't bloody know. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lee Morgan, again, talks about witches being born with physical marks which kind of differentiate them from ordinary people. So I thought it might be quite fun to play a little game. 
<laughs> so we're gonna play a game called Which Witch is Which? <laughs> Cute game show music. <laughs> So cool. Okay. Okay. So unfortunately, you are my my willing victim in this case.、Uh-huh. Um, so you're just gonna have to bear with.、Uh, <laughs> so what's gonna happen is I'm gonna ask you、um, a series of questions, and I want you just to try and answer me as best you can. Okay. So I'm going to list a type of witch to you, and you have to tell me what feature gave them away as a witch. Okay. <laughs> All right. So、uh, there's a form of Italian witch called a Benandanti, and they were born with. Um, they were born with something which marked them as a witch. What were they born with, which marked them as a witch? I'm gonna guess a mole because it always seems to be a mole. It's not a mole, no. Apparently,、okay. they were born with a call, a C A U L, a call. I'm trying to think what a call is actually. Hold on, bear、Let's、with. Let's Google. Let's Google. What is a call? <laughs> my, I checked my phone across the room. I I've got it. I've got it. It's a piece of membrane that covers a newborn's head and face. Birth with a call is rare, occurring in fewer than one to eighty thousand births, but it's harmless and is immediately removed by the physician. So, if you were born with one of those, according to this Italian tradition of the Benedanti, then you were a witch. My youngest is a witch, then. Because <laughs>、yeah. that's, that's the water sack. Oh, okay, right, yeah. Ah, he's、They're、a witch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not surprised.、Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, makes sense. No joking. Oh, <laughs>、uh, love it. Okay, okay. Question two. I'm ready. What was a Hungarian taltosh born with a full set of teeth? Yes. Really? Yes. Hey! Yay! <laughs> ding ding ding! Yeah. Apparently, if if、uh, in turn in Hungary, if a person was born with a full set of teeth, they were a witch. Um, as a bonus question, what does a taltosh crave?、Uh, chewy things. <laughs> <laughs> things to get their teeth into. <laughs> Toffee. I don't know. Apparently, milk products. Apparently, yeah, they've got a really strong craving for milk products. I mean,、okay. same. <laughs> Fucking love milk. Definitely. <laughs> same. Hate milk. Okay.、Um, next question. What does being a seventh son of a seventh son destine you to become? Um, the one. <laughs> the one they call the seventh son. I've got the、no? key.、Okay. I've got the secret. <laughs> no, apparently a werewolf. Really? Yeah. If you're apparently according to folklore, if you're a seventh son of a seventh son, you're destined to be a werewolf. Okay. I always thought it was like witchy, psychicy. Well, I think I think there because there's a there's a crossover point. Tell your future, it will come to pass. I can do things for you, make your heart feel glad. No, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there's supposed to be like a bit of like a weird crossover between like witches and werewolves, apparently, according to folklore. I could not according to Twilight. <laughs> Don't get me started on Twilight. <laughs> Don't get me started. Oh my god. Okay.、Um, next question. Having red hair meant you were likely to have tendencies for what? Having no soul. <laughs>、um, no, Having no soul. <laughs>、uh, I, I uh, Witchiness. Yeah. Well, witchcraft, lycanthropy, and vampirism. <laughs> lycanthropy is is werewolves, isn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And apparently as well, apparently, you know, all redheads are vampires. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's really hot. Sorry, sorry, I really like redheads, so I just went to like a little happy place in my head. Anyway, right. <laughs> Next question. Uh, which famous English queen was accused of having six fingers and was therefore a witch? Uh, Queen Anne. Wh- which, which Queen no. Anne? Oh, I don't know. One of them. <laughs> I don't know, Queen Anne. Anne Boleyn was accused of having six oh, fingers. Oh, okay. No, not the one I was thinking of, but... Mm. Yeah, because, you know, of course, it was for her that Henry VIII broke away from Rome, so apparently she was a whore and a witch and she had six fingers. Oh, God. So I could I could rant for a while about Anne Boleyn. Like, just, ah, uh, the poor, the poor lady... Because, like, she was getting she was getting courty letters written to her, mm-hmm. and so she moved away. <laughs> I was like, I don't want none of this, and still got pulled back into it. It was like, yeah, no, you you don't actually have a choice. And then everything gets blamed on her afterwards, and films get made where she's tempting the king, <laughs> and it's like, no, no, is, the poor women wanted to be left alone. <laughs> isn't that Emily Autumn's song "Marry Me" about Anne Boleyn? No, that's about one of the Catherines near the end. Oh, is it? Oh, that's interesting. I thought it was about Anne Boleyn. One of the Catherines? Maybe there's only a Catherine. I can't. Remember no, there's two. Is there not? I think there's two. Um, not. So married, beheaded, died, married, behead, the beheaded before the survived. Oh, the oh no, oh, oh dear. <laughs> because, because he's very old, so it's like, marry me, he said, through his rotten teeth, bad breath. Oh yeah, because apparently yeah. he was a hunk in the early days, according to like, the Tudors, <laughs> which is like, not historically accurate as a series. <laughs> I looked at that and I was like, no way does anybody have teeth that good or bodies like that <laughs> back then. I'm like, no, no, you're all going to stink. No, no. No, no. Mama, no. Um, <laughs> as a bonus question, what unholy mark um, was Anne Boleyn supposed to have had on her throat which she covered with jewellery? Oh, with her little bee necklace. Mm-hmm. Because style icon. Right. Um, She's literally a queen. Uh-huh. Uh, mole? <laughs> I guess it's always a mole. Gonna go with a mole. Uh, a wen, or a cyst, which she had on her throat, oh. which again was apparently her witch mark, along with her six fingers. Which you're like, oh my god, leave the woman alone. <laughs> She's already had her head chopped off, do you know what I mean? Like, just, ugh. Oh. I know, honestly. Dearie me. Poor lady. Poor lady. And, um, final question. Uh, stopping attendance to which social institution meant you were more likely to be a witch? Sorry, which social in- institution or which social <laughs> institution? <laughs> which which are you meaning? Uh, stopping <laughs> attendance to which social institution meant you were likely to be a witch, if that makes sense. Uh, or what social institution? The church, it's always the church. The church and moles. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, it's the church. Again, if you were if you were an outsider that lived kind of, you know, out with the village, you didn't really attend church, then you were more likely to be a witch as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, same. I'm busy, do you know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> I just don't really have time, and the seats are really hard, and I just don't really like the set of hymns they've got, you know? Yeah, that's hilarious. Well done, though! Woo! Yay! What do I win? Um, you win... My everlasting love. Aww, thanks. (laughs) 
anyway, moving on. Um, that was really fun. But yeah, no, I thought we'd now um, have a chat about the Gospel of Noah. Yay! Um, because I fucking love that book. And Tony, <laughs> if you're listening, there is now a massive hole in my life where the book once was, and I feel very sad because <laughs> I don't have it to like to like go to now. So. Um, oh my god, yeah, what am I going to do when I finish it? Well, you better hurry up and write the next one. I'm like, Tony, <laughs> please. <laughs> right, it'll take me a while to finish. <laughs> I don't get much free time. <laughs> That's true. You're a busy lady. Um, but no, like, I, I really loved it. Like, I really enjoyed um, so many elements of it. Like, I really enjoyed the, uh, the clever reinterpreting of a lot of biblical motifs. And mm. symbols in a way which I guess you might argue is slightly heretical from a Christian standpoint, but like they're not heavy handed, they're like they're empowering and they're atmospheric. You know, like I love, for mm. example, and this is not a massive spoiler, but when you know Noah encounters the devil and he refers to himself as the god of his people, and it clearly mirrors obviously the dialogue between Moses and Adonai at the burning bush, you know, mm. like it's so atmospheric and it definitely points to Noah as this kind of chosen prophet. And also as well, have you have you got to the Black Madonna? Just a little... I'm at the bit where um, you go... <laughs> I don't want to give anything away, but you're at the bit where like you've got really into the story, mm-hmm. and then you go, oh my god, shit got real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shit got real fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm at that bit. Yeah. <laughs> I had to put it down and walk away for a little bit. Yeah, no... Um, I had to take a moment, to be honest. I was yes. like, oh, oh, holy fuck. I made fuck. myself a little cup of tea and had to sit down and rethought about some of my life decisions. I'm also not going to lie, I feel like I cried a little bit as well. I was like, why? <laughs> but no, like, I really love this, this this figure of the Black Madonna. Like, I'm not going to go into it because obviously it's, it's very integral to the plot, but like, it is this figure of kind of awesome female power. And to me anyway, as a massive religion nerd, it's great because it really reflects this kind of syncretic view of the Madonna, which you have in Catholic countries anyway, where she is both kind of, you know, the mother of Christ, but also she's basically a goddess. I mean, let's be honest, there's a book by um, a guy called Michael Carroll called Madonnas That Maim, which talks about um, the veneration of the Madonna in Italy. And basically, you know, she's she's considered a goddess. Do you know what I mean? By the norm, by the by the everyday people. And um, she's basically almost as powerful as Christ, really, in 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 a kind of folkloric Catholic perception. So you're a bit like, girl, let's just let's just be real. The Madonna's a goddess. Let's let's just you know let's be real. But I really love how he ties that kind of biblical idea into like witch lore, essentially. It's great. Yeah. So yeah, like because um, the you know the the book's main character Noah is queer. Um, I wanted to know from Tony um, a couple of things. I wanted to know about what queerness meant to him um, in terms of Noah's character. Um, I also really wanted to know as well, like, how he got into witchcraft and how that was potentially an influence on his book. And also, what what is this idea of the devil in the book? Because the devil plays a big part, obviously, in the book. And again, as another one of these kind of symbols that has been heretically inverted, in inverted commas. Um, I kind of wanted to know what the symbol of the devil meant for him and also queerness within the book. So I thought we could maybe play Tony's responses. What's going on, everybody? This is uh, Tony. I'm the author of the Summerland series. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you for everyone who's taking the time to listen right now. And uh, thank you especially to Stevie, who 
graciously and generously allowed me to speak on his podcast right now, which is honestly something that I never even imagined. I mean, honestly, I to everyone listening, I never even thought when I wrote this that I, people in Scotland would be listening to me or, you know, across the UK even or wherever we all are, would be listening to me right now uh, talk about this. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to talk about or Stevie asked me to talk about is how I got into witchcraft. And honestly, that's a little bit of a long-winded one almost like I want to say but I mean essentially everything I've always really been interested in the craft and in witchcraft um, even so I mean funnily enough I was actually a Christian at the time of my own infliction and I will say that because my mother was never uh, religious and neither was my dad I mean he was uh, for lack of a better word and I want to say an atheist agnostic I you know but the point is is that religion was never imposed on me or but that was always me of my own philosophical kind of like endeavors and just always looking for meaning because just I don't know as for as long as I can think about it, I think as a kid I was always just thinking there was something greater to myself and then when I was around 13 years old actually is when I started to what I call my awakening I mean for lack of a better term I mean it was honestly downright terrifying because I mean I'm talking shadow people and you know trances and it was just a really strange thing and I mean this started causing a lot of conflict with me and my own religious beliefs at the time so i was horrified of it but then you know at the same time low-key i would be on youtube like looking up we all come from the goddess and like singing that and then i'd be like okay i'm done it's so bad you know it was almost like a <laughs> it was like a guilty pleasure indulging in witchcraft but anyway so uh there came a point in time where i broke up uh, i was dating my then girlfriend you know yes dating women was something i did at the time <laughs> and um anyway uh after i broke up with her um I kind of just felt like, you know, what am I really holding back from at this point? What am I afraid of? And I just said, fuck it, you know, for lack of a better term. And I'm sorry, I swear like a sailor, hashtag not really sorry. But, um, and I said, screw it, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to find a coven because I, I can't do this. You know, I, I, I can't keep wondering what if. And I decided to just go ahead and do that and just kind of run with that. Um... From then on, I mean, honestly, I, I tried to do the eclectic thing for a little bit. Sorry, backtrack. I tried to do the eclectic thing for all of maybe two weeks, and I just got frustrated because I did. I just kept reading all of like these books, and you know, it's like, oh, the goddess, the goddess, the goddess, and the horn gun, and the horn god, and I'm honestly just like, what the fuck is the goddess? And I mean, you know, what is that? Uh, and I was like, I can't do this, and so I went ahead and I just went and I found a coven, and I was actually fortunate enough. I live in Miami. I mean, I never thought that there would be a genuine, legitimate Gardnerian coven in Miami. So I actually went ahead and I went through with that and they were within maybe a 40 minute drive for me, which is really nothing. And I went through with that and I was initiated Gardnerian and, uh, which I am to this day. So, and I love the tradition. It's a very beautiful tradition. So yeah, so that's essentially how I got involved in, in, in witchcraft. And I mean, I, it's, it's been about maybe five years now. And honestly, I haven't looked back. It's been the most transformative journey for me myself. I mean, I, I'm, I mean, I always keep it real. I have nothing to hide from everybody. You know, I struggled with self-identity, you know, with self-loathing, you know, my sexuality and for, for years and years and years. And coming into the craft really helped me take all the parts that I was ashamed of or was 
you know, systematically made to think that I should be ashamed of. And those became a focal point of my power. And now, honestly, I feel like I stand in total confidence of my own power and just who I am as a person, as a man, as a witch, as a priest uh, in this tradition. Um, so I feel like I've definitely grown a lot in that regard. And I'm honestly truly thankful for the circle without end uh, that I've been very, very fortunate to meet and all of the beautiful people that I have met along the way that have touched me and helped me grow and really helped me to understand um, the mysteries, you know, and, uh, and it's, it's something that I, I, I could definitely die happy knowing that I did. Um, as far as the next thing is, is uh, witchcraft and queerness. And you asked me to talk about, you know, where was where how do witchcraft and queerness coincide? And I mean, honestly, I think for anybody listening, I mean, to me, Witchcraft is queerness. I mean, I think to be a witch is to be queer, I think, in its own right. I, I feel like they're not separate things. I feel like they go hand in hand. You know, uh, the figure of the witch was never a popular figure. She was always a fringe figure. She was always someone who was walking the world, you know, had one foot in this world and one foot in the next. And I kind of feel like almost for a lot of queer folks, it, it uh, our lives really is like that a lot of times, especially for those of us who cannot be out or, you know, you know, those kinds of things. It's you're kind of almost living a, a double life. And a lot of us kind of feel like we're living that. And I think even when you do come out, I mean, you're still queer. So it's almost like you're still part of the world, but then you're like on the fringes of the world. So it's like you walk that in between space. And I feel like that's I feel like that's a, the, the life of a witch. And then, you know, I mean, <laughs> once I accepted, I accepted the fact that I was gay, then, you know, I kind of figured, well, then what are the charges of witchcraft on top of that? I might as well just, you know, go for it honestly really just seemed like just like just like another layer on top of everything. Seriously, it's just like, again, I mean, I figured, well, I mean, I'm probably going to hell in at least two out of three major religions. So I might as well just slap the charges of witchcraft on top of that just to make it a nice even, you know, count. Because again, if you're going to be the best sinner, you might as well be the best damn sinner that you could be. And I think that uh, I think that's actually Anton LaVey who said something like that. So uh, and lastly, I mean, uh, there was a lot of talking. Uh, there's a lot of talk, especially in the book about uh, the devil. And um, I'm getting a lot of questions, especially about who the devil is. And I mean, what is the devil in regards to the story? And I mean, honestly, I really ascribe to the old idea or the old adages of Satan for that. Because I mean, honestly, to me, I don't, as a witch, I mean, I, I don't believe in the devil. You know, I, I don't believe that there is a... Uh, a, a, a cosmic boogeyman that's out there that we can sit there and blame for all of the nefarious things that humans do. Because, I mean, honestly, if you're going to ask me, and I tell people all the time, I mean, I feel humans are perfectly capable of doing evil things without the help of the devil. But, you know, that's just me. But honestly, uh, when I think about that, I, I really go back and I think into the quote of Oscar Wilde, where he said that he represents all of the sins that we are too afraid to commit. And I think there's a deeper sentiment to that because I think what Wilde was really saying was that uh, that's what the devil is, is the fear of wanting to commit the sins that we want to. And I mean, I think back to the scene from the scene, I'm sorry, from the movie The Witch by Robert Eggers, which is one of my favorites. And Thomason is praying in the film and she's asking for pardon for sinning both in action and in thought. And I thought... God, that is just so insane to me to think that you're sitting here begging for forgiveness over something that you 
thought about. Like you haven't even done it. And so, you know, that's the kind of thinking that starts to spark this whole boogeyman that starts to create the devil. And I think that if you're reading, you know, any old manuscripts about what people call the devil and who people accuse of, of being the devil, oftentimes it was women. Um, you know, oh, you're a mistress of Satan, you know, you're an agent of the devil because you're tempting me and because I'm feeling these sexual feelings. But I mean, look at the key factors of that there. I mean, the devil there is the fact that this, that, that man is, for example, in this case, is that man is feeling these sexual feelings, for example, and he can't control them. So for him, that is the devil. I mean, you, this was literally a time where people's own actual feelings were perceived to be the devil tempting them. To which at that point, what is the difference between the devil and yourself as a person? There really isn't one. And I kind of feel like that's really what this is coming down to in the story where uh, the devil really is everything that Noah wants to do, but I think is too scared to do himself. Um, and I think that's really what it comes down to. And, and I think that's really what it comes down to who the devil is. I, I think just as a queer person, just in general, or just even in the basis of this story, um, coming from someone for, for me where I feel like the devil was definitely accepting my own sexuality because it's like I was attracted to I was attracted to men and I hated that fact but like I couldn't help um feeling what I was feeling so that to me was my devil you know like that was that was the devil to me you know my own my own feelings uh so which was another thing that I wanted to bring with Noah and I think a lot of people were really especially a lot of queer readers were really happy I think with Noah's storytelling in the sense that his sexuality is not the crux of his character you know, I didn't want to create uh, a, a queer lead that was in turmoil over who he was or his whole identity relied on his sexuality or a lead who, again, you know, that was the crux of his character. Like that was a problem for him or, you know, like there's something I didn't want to create that because I think that that's just been done so many times over and over again. And I, you know, I just wanted something that felt like that was very normal and just like a part of his life, because that's really what it is for us. Our sexualities are a part of our lives. And, um, you know, Noah's got other more important things going on in his life. So do, you know, so do many of us. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think that answers all of your questions. And thank you so much again for having me on this. And I know I've been rambling and, ba and babbling like a fool, but... Um, yeah, thank you so much for having me, and I'm really looking forward to any questions. Uh, if y'all haven't checked it out, Summerland, the Gospel of Noah. Um, I have been working on this for a little bit. If you are into witchcraft and, uh, you know, you're ready for a badass horror lead, I mean, I think this is probably the book for you. But uh, thanks again, Stevie, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing and seeing how this is turning out. Um, thank you, Tony, for that. Thank you for um, giving us those comments. It was so nice to um, be able to actually hear you explain, you know, some of, some of the bits and pieces about the book. Um, particularly, I loved what you said about Noah and this sense of queerness and that queerness is not, you know, it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be this kind of angsty focal point, which seems to happen with all sorts of queer characters in media. It's either they're coming out or they're really struggling with their sexuality and do you know what I mean? It's it's really as much as I think that those those stories are important as well, it's really refreshing to have a story where it's just a part of their character and it's not 
a focal point and it's not uh, a defining thing for them. Mm-hmm. Like it, it really doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really it's really refreshing and really nice to see. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just a part of them. Um, but I also guess kind of on the flip side though, it is also nice as a queer person to actually read a book where a queer person is elevated and honoured mm-hmm. as well. Do you know what I mean? As being literally marked as something that is kind of special, which is nice because, you know, I feel that in a lot of media, queer people are either the the side characters, the comic relief, you know, they're perceived as not really being very powerful or not being like physically capable. Um, do you know what I mean? They're, they're always, they're quite often sidelined into these kind of like comic roles, especially like within, yeah. within horror as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, as a genre so to read a horror book where actually the queer person is the lead and they're a strong queer person for me I was like heaven above oh my god (laughs) (laughs) like it was really really nice really nice to read so I have to actually say thank you Tony for that because it's the representation that I was wanting to to read and yeah I'm just like I'm just thankful for that (laughs) yay I yeah I I am I I feel sad that I've I've now got a massive, um, I'm about to say a nowhere shaped hole that I'm not. Gonna <laughs> know, like, <laughs> Sorry, that was a proper cat. I'm like, oh my. <laughs> um, that's 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 surviving the edit. <laughs> um, but you know what? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to like to Tony continuing to write this series. And you really need to check it out. Oh, is it going to be a series? It's a series. Yeah, it's a series. Ooh. So there are going to be multiple... Okay, that's nice. Yeah, multiple different Gospels. So please check it out. You can find it on Amazon. Um, I will link to Tony's Instagram account. Um, I'll link to it on Amazon as well, kind of, yeah. you know, in the description of this video. Because please support Tony as an independent artist. Um, especially as an independent art, a queer artist as well during this time, you know, because let's, let's be honest, COVID has... Uh, has been a bit devastating for lots of different communities of people and their work, so... Also, as we were talking about in previous episode of how in our culture this is the time of year where we tell ghost stories and horror things, it's been really nice when it's cold and I've just put the heating on and I've got my wee hot water bottle and I'm in my gym jams and I go into bed and I get to read about spooky stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's been a really nice little uh, little winter present to myself Mm -hmm. so you know you you know what you need to do people you need to (laughs) give yourself that present and go buy tony's book (laughs) (laughs) um and i guess also as well to sum up like you know i'm going to challenge the definition of witches which we had at the beginning yes you know i'm sorry but i see witches as people who are potentially marked as special potentially in a way or maybe uh, sovereign or reclaiming that sense of power. Um, there isn't one homogenous definition. You know, there are as many witches as there are witchcrafts. But I really do see witchcraft as a bestowal and an exercise in personal sovereignty. So, you know, let's let's maybe move beyond some of these archaic definitions, I think, would be a good Yay. idea. Um, thank you so much for tuning in to um, this episode um i would like to know from people what they would like to see 
um, for the Grimoire Club in the future, because obviously we'll have a very special episode of that dedicated to the end of December. So if you have any ideas for any horror novels that you would like to plug, or for me to look at, or for Lilius to look at, particularly if they do come from independent artists. Um, I was going to say, prepare for me to not have finished reading it in time, though. <laughs> I'll read it in time. <laughs> read it. I'll read it I'll, in time. I'll struggle. <laughs> the struggle is real. Um, but yeah, no, if you, if you do um, know of any works by independent authors as well in particular that you would think, you know, should be supported, then please, you know, send us a wee, a DM, a message. But yeah, this is a uh, this is Stevie from the Widdershins Yarn signing off. Oh, I've got to say bye now as well. Like, you do, <laughs> you do, you do. <laughs> this is Lilius who needs some coffee signing off. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and um, I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. All right, take care. Goodbye. Bye. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Waiting on Lilius to come back Gonna sing a song Gonna be about all those witches Gonna get me some witch bitches Hello!